I'm going to have you turn two different places. Uh, if you would hold your finger in Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4. Hold your finger there and then find your place in Matthew chapter number 8. And as you're turning to these, if you're physically able, I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God this morning. Mark chapter number 4, hold your finger there, and then flip over to Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. There's a common phrase in both of these passages that I want to share with you. And uh, we've been preaching on Sunday mornings on who God is. Our theme this year, to know God and to make Him known. And uh, it's hard to make somebody known if you don't know Him personally. And so it's very important for you to know who God is uh, in your salvation. Make sure you know Him in that way because you never genuinely can know Him until you're saved. And so let me encourage you if you're not saved to get saved. But to know the Lord. And so we, we want to just lift Him up today. And uh, we're going to look at what the Bible says here. Matthew chapter number 8. I want you to look at verse number twenty. Six is where we're going to start. Actually, let's jump up, if you would, please. Verse 24. It says, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. In verse 27, But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? I want you to think of that phrase there in verse 27. What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And flip over to Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4. Verse 37 says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of a ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest not that, thou, that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and unto the sea, uh, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? I'm going to preach to you a message this morning on what manner of man is this. What manner of man is this? Let's pray, Lord. We love you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for, uh, Lord, just what a great, deep, deep love you have for us. Thank you for the songs that we sang this morning about the love of Christ and the special music about your love. Lord, may we never get over it. May we never get over your love. And Lord, we sure thank you for uh, loving us when we're unlovable. For even though we were in our sins and our dead and our trespasses and sins, that you love the whole world. And you gave your only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. To be that payment, that atonement for sin. And Lord, that you allowed him to endure the cross so that we, we could have our sins forgiven. Then he was buried and he took hell for us and rose from the grave so that we could have life everlasting. Lord, we sure appreciate it. But Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not have that eternal security in their heart to know that they're saved, not just because they said some words, but because they believed in their heart, the Lord Jesus, 
and by faith received you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that if they've not done that, they'll do that today. Lord, if there is somebody here who is saved, but they're struggling on what side of the fence they need to be on, I pray that you'll encourage them to choose you. And Lord, we just thank you for the people of our church. Thank you for um, just the gospel getting out. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the word of God that shows us your love for us and who you are. Lord, may we know you better as we leave here today. May we draw us closer to you than we've ever been. And Lord, just thank you and praise you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. As I was reading through these passages this week, I was uh, going through some of the Gospels here, and I've had people ask me before, well, why are there four Gospels? And it sounds like uh, they uh, speak to, uh, in different ways or that they phrase things differently. Does that mean that God's uh, changing the story? Is there anything in that? No, you've got to understand the Gospels were written to four different groups of people. Matthew uh, was writing to the Jews, and Jews required a sign. That's why you see a lot of parables in the book of Matthew. Uh, they're different people. You know, Mark was writing to a certain group of people, the, the Gentile-type people. He was writing to them, and the Gentiles really just said, tell us about it, a little bit vague. They didn't need all the parables and things like that. Then Luke was writing to the Greek mind. Luke was writing more in-depth. If you read the, book of, the Gospel of Luke, there's a lot of more in-depth uh, things to the story. Why? Because they wanted all the facts. Just tell us all about it. And then the Gospel of John covers everything else. It's like, hey, it's a simple book. You read the Gospel of John, there's most of the Gospel of John is five letters or, or less in the Gospel, but it's a powerful book. What a blessing it is. But it all ties together and it's all pointing to the same thing, and that's God. It's all pointing to Him. And everywhere you cut the Bible, I have a quote in the front of my Bible that says, no matter where you cut the Bible, it bleeds with the blood of Jesus. All the way from the beginning of creation, all the way from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, no matter where you look at it, it's pointing you to one place, and that's God. Our theme this year, to know Him and to make Him known. We have gone down through alphabetically through a lot of the names of, of God in the Bible, and we've gone through all of this. And I just want to talk to you about Him a little bit today. What manner of man is this? I was trying to put myself in this situation. I was trying to put myself on this ship. You understand, there was men on this ship that were trained fishermen. There was men on this ship that had been in many storms in their life. There's men that were on this ship that knew what to do when storms were raging. But there's times in our life when storms are just overwhelming. And they're just overflowing. And they're coming in from all sides. And though we may think we got this handled, we know what to do when storms arise. This was the type of storm they'd not been in. They were fearful. And Jesus is asleep in the ship. And there's times when the storms come in our life, we think, where's God? Is he just asleep? Doesn't he care about us? What's going on? But these disciples are just like you and I. They're made of flesh. And here they are. They're worried about the water coming over the side. And guess what? I'd be worried about that too. I don't like oceans. People say, what are you talking about? I don't think I stand a good chance against sharks. I just, I don't. Somebody said, would you rather face a grizzly bear or a shark? I say a grizzly bear any day. Why? Because I have a gun and I'm standing on the ground and he's going to be in trouble. But a shark, I'm helpless. I'm just food. Okay? And so I don't like that. So I'd be, I'd be nervous being out in the sea with water coming up over the top. I'd be scared. Okay? I'd be, I'd be fearful. And we can't blame them for being fearful. But there was something about it. Jesus was with them. You know, he's with them on the ship. What, they think he was going to drown himself on the ship? I mean, we look at it and we think, man, how could they be this way? How could they look at it like this? Well, I'll tell you, they were looking through fleshly eyes at the circumstances. 
They weren't looking at what was taking place, what God was about to do. And he showed himself to them. They come to him and they wake him up and they say, Jesus, cares not that we perish? The water's coming over the top. Are you going to help us? Are you going to do something? And if it had been us in the flesh, say, leave me alone. You know, I'm sleeping. I'm tired, okay? But he gets up and he rebukes the wind. Can you, could you imagine Brother Ron being on that ship and Jesus walking up and saying, peace be still, and it just go. Whoa. And it was like glass on that water. I mean, the wind ceased. The storm stopped. Why? Because he's the captain of it. He created it. He can tell it what to do, right? He said, let there be, and there was. What a God he is. He rebukes it, and he says, oh, ye of little faith. How did you have no faith in me? Trusting in me. And oftentimes we struggle with that when storms come around us, when we're faced with circumstances in life, we struggle with just trusting in Jesus. We struggle with just letting go and letting God have it. We struggle with uh, getting our hands off of it because we think there's a little bit of safety. Guess what? There wasn't any safety for them in that ship. The water was coming over. That ship was going to sink if it weren't for Jesus. It's coming over the top, but real safety in their life came from Jesus. Safety comes from the Savior, not from the ship. Oftentimes, we'll come to church and we think, well, that's our safety blanket, is the church. That's our safety net, is the the building that we come to. You understand, without the power of God upon this place, we meet in vain. If we don't focus on Jesus, that's the reason we come, is to know Him in a personal way. That's why we ought to come. And as I was thinking about this, I began to try to put it into my perspective when storms of life come around, when the waves are crashing in, when it's coming on. He promised to be with us all the time. I'll never leave you nor forsake us. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil wife, for thou art with me. He's with us all the time, and we have storms that rage, but we do just like the disciples here and these men on the ship. As they begin to look at the waves, they begin to look at the circumstances, and forgetting about the one that was there with them that they could find faith in, that they could have faith in that would help save them along the way. Because they forgot about who he was. Just because he was in the flesh didn't mean he wasn't God. The Bible said the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That means that this Bible we hold in our hand, this is God's Word for you and I. This is how you know Him in a personal way. It said, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus walked on this earth for uh, 33 and a half years. In that three and a half year time period of His earthly ministry, He went about seeking to save that which was lost. You know what? You say, well, what did he do the first 30 years? I don't really know other than he was there doing what his parents told him to do, growing, doing all that. But when he got out into his earthly ministry, guess what he was doing? Even when he was 12, remember, he was in the temple teaching. And he said, wist thou not I was about my father's business? Everything he did was about pointing people to God, about bringing people to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in this ship, you say, why did he put this in these Gospels? Why are they here for you and I so that we can know who he is? And I just want to talk to you about him a little bit today, about who God is. What manner of man is this? They asked that question. They marveled over it. They said, man, here he is walking out on the ship and he says, peace be still. And it stops. What kind of person can do that? What manner of man is it? That even the winds and the seas obey him. 
Could you imagine being out in a hurricane coming and a tornado coming your way and all of a sudden somebody just stepping out and say, stop, and it goes. We think, yeah, that couldn't happen. Jesus did it. And it obeyed. Why? Because he's God. He's God. And I want to talk to you about what manner of man is this. First off, he's the incomparable one. You can't compare him to anybody else. He's not comparable to Allah. He's not comparable to Buddha. He's not comparable to any. Why? They don't even hold a candle to who God is. Those other false idols and false gods, think about, read, read about Dagon in Scripture. What happened? The Philistines had Dagon up there to worship and all these things. And here it was. It fell down when the ark of God was there in front of them. It fell down, didn't it? Well, then they stood it back up. Then it comes out and falls down on its face again. And its arms are cut off. Its head's cut off. All these other things. Why? Because there is no other God above him. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says, uh, I want you to turn there quickly, see it. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. But I want you to look, he's the incomparable one. There's nothing you can compare to him. In verse uh, number 1, he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What he's saying there is, listen, it wasn't bad for him to be equal with God. Why? Because he was equal with God. Jesus was God in the flesh. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. God, the creator of all the universe, the one that can say, peace be still, and the winds and the waves obey him, made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above only some names. Is that what the Bible said? Given him a name which is just above certain things? No. Given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, he, who is this man? Well, this manner of man is this. He's the incomparable one. There's nobody like him in all the world. He's the one that the winds and the waves obey. He's the one that the seasons have to do what he tells them to do. He's the one that even Satan trembles over. Why? Because he is all power, all powerful. Everything he has to do. And I don't want to get ahead of my Myself, but you can't compare God to anything else. There's nothing else like him. It said it's given him a name which is above every name. When you think about that name Jesus, something ought to just go inside of you. It ought to just spring up inside of you. Something, if you're saved in this room this morning, there ought to be a joy when you hear the name Jesus because of what he's done for you. It's at that name, the name of Jesus, that the blood of Christ that was shed, that takes lowly sinners deserving of hell, picks them up, sets their feet upon a solid rock, establishes their going, puts a new song in their heart, even prays unto our God. Nobody else can do that. No other God can do that. It take unrighteousness and make it righteous. Take wickedness and make it filled full of the Spirit. How can that happen? Through an incomparable God. There's nobody like Him. Could you imagine? I mean, the disciples saw him do miracles. 
They watched him do many things. And now here's a storm raging and they begin to look through flesh-filled eyes. And they're thinking, man, we're going to perish. We're going to die. And they forgot about who he was that was with him. That all they had to do was say, stop. And the wind was going to stop. Listen, when you're faced with a storm, understand there's an incomparable one that you can turn to and just say, Lord, I need your help. And all he's got to do to your storm is say, hey, enough. And it's done. All he's got to do is say, peace be still. And it'll stop. I was talking with somebody yesterday. They were asking about the trials. I said, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is without trials, we can't, ex- uh, we can't appreciate the mountaintops. Without the valleys, we don't have the strength and the nourishment that comes through those green pastures and the still waters and all those things to get strength to carry up the mountains. But we ought to just trust in the incomparable one. Why do we try to compare God to other things? Because we can't. It's above every name. There's people that say, well, I just, I don't want to worship God. Why? You're going to one day. There's going to come a day you're going to. Well, I don't believe that. Doesn't matter what you believe, friend. The Bible says it. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're in this room today struggling about if Jesus Christ is Lord, you ought to just surrender to it. Because there's going to come a day you're going to admit that he's Lord. There's going to come a day that you're not going to say, well, I believe Allah's God. There's not going to come a day that you're going to stand at that great white throne. If you reject Jesus Christ, you're not going to stand there and be like, well, I just didn't believe you were God. So I I, I thought this was you ought to let me into heaven. No, you're going to confess that Jesus is Lord. There's not going to be any question about it. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the incomparable one. You can't get saved by any other means but through Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can try to get your uh, way to heaven all you want to. You can say, well, I've been to church every day that church doors have been open for the last 60 years. Never missed one day. You're not going to be able to stand before God and allow that to get you into heaven. He said there's going to be some that stand before him and say, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Listen, why don't you just get in to his family this morning? Why? Because there's none like him. He'll change your life. He takes old things and makes them new again. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new in Christ Jesus. You say, well, the sins that I carry, what am I supposed to do? Just give them to him. He already carried them on the cross. Read Isaiah 53 if you don't believe me. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb before the slaughter. As a sheep before a shearer is dumb. Yet he opened not his mouth. Listen, he's the incomparable one. There's no other God, little G God, that's ever done that for anybody else. But in his great love wherewith he loved you, he gave of his only begotten son. So that you don't have to spend one second in hell. You say, well, 
Why would he do that? Because he knew that without him, there was no way for us to get there. And because of his love for those that he created. Listen, we were created in the image of God. To fellowship with him. To walk with him. He desires our fellowship. I just can't fathom that. This this incomparable one. The one who's above every name. He desires to be with little old me. He desires to be with you. He desires to walk with you and talk with you. He desires all of that. And when... Because of sin, guess what? That relationship is severed. But through the precious blood of Christ, we have access once again to the Father. And that only comes through Him. You say, so what do I do, preacher? You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Said, thou shalt be saved. It's not just words that you say, but a belief in your heart. That Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That you're a sinner and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That your sin had a penalty, the wages of sin is death. That Jesus Christ loved you so much, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then what do I do? You believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by doing so, it said in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Why? Because there's nobody like him. Can you imagine the one who did everything for you and I to be saved? He doesn't demand anything from us to earn salvation. Why? Because there's nothing we could have done to earn it. When the law was given, it showed people their need of salvation. It showed them their inability to keep the law, that they were sinners. You know what this book shows us? Our inability without him to do it. It's what it shows us. But he's the incomparable one. What manner of man is this? Not only is he the incomparable one, there's nobody like him. He's the infinite one. He's unmeasurable. Look at 1 John chapter number 3. 1 John chapter number 3. You say, why is he immeasurable? Why is he uh, incomparable? Why is there no way that you can do this? I want you to look at 1 John chapter number 3. He's immeasurable because of his omniscience. What is that? It means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. There's none like him. He's unmeasurable because of his omniscience. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Knoweth all things. I could go through many verses that talk about what he knows and how he knows everything. Listen, why did, why did Jesus know the thoughts of what people were saying? Because he was God in the flesh. But why is God infinite? Why is he unmeasurable? Because of his omniscience. He's all-knowing. Not only because of his omniscience, but his omnipotence. What's that mean? He's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Look at Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Look at Psalm 115, starting in verse number 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy, thy name give glory, for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. 
He had done whatsoever he hath pleased. He does whatever he pleases. Why? Because he's all powerful. He can do it all. Think about it. What manner of man is this? The one that walks to the edge of a ship and says, peace be still. And it stops. That's some power. That's power. If you look in Matthew 28, you know, I'm turned there right now. For sake of time, I'll just give you the verse 19 and 20 or verse 18 before he gives us that commission. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Listen, he's, there's nobody like him. He's in, incomparable. He's imme- unmeasurable. You can't do it. Why? Because he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. Don't think you can walk through life and sin and do all the stuff you want to do and you can hide it from God. There's no way he's going to know it. Listen, the rooftop doesn't stop his vision. He sees beyond it. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. He even told Samuel, look not on the, the uh, look not on his stature or on his countenance or, but because the Lord doesn't see the way man sees. For the Lord looketh on the, or man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. He knows what's on the inside. He's all knowing. He's all powerful. Listen, he has power over death and hell. Why can we rejoice over the fact that death has no power anymore over us if we've trusted Christ as our Savior? Because he conquered death. He can offer life because death has no power over him. He was able to defeat it. Why? Because he's all powerful. He's all powerful. And then his omnipresence he's everywhere look at psalm 139 psalm 139 starting in verse number seven whither shall i go from thy spirit or whither shall i flee from thy presence you may say that, or how am I going to get away from your spirit? I don't like the conviction. How am I going to get away from all of this? How am I going to get away from your spirit? How am I going to get away from your presence? I know if I ascend up into heaven, I'm going to get away. No, he said, thou art, thou art there. Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell to the othermost part of the sea, even, if, uh, e- even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You know what he's saying? There's no place you can go that can escape where he is. God is there. Don't think God can't reach you where you are because it doesn't matter where you are. God is everywhere and God can reach you exactly where you are. There's people that uh, Satan makes them believe that they're too far gone for God to save. There's people uh, that walk around that think, well, I'm saved, but I'm too far gone for God to restore me. Listen, we're, ta- we're not talking about a little statue that people fall down and try to worship. We're not talking about uh, the God of money or the God of this world. We're talking about the infinite one. We're talking about the all-knowing one. We're talking about the all-powerful one. We're talking about the one that's everywhere that can reach you exactly where you are if you're willing to come to him. He said, he that cometh unto me, I'll in no wise cast him out. It doesn't matter how dark your life may seem. It doesn't matter how bad things have gone. It doesn't matter how far away from God you've gotten. If you'll come back to where he is, you say, well, where is that? Just turn to him. He's there. Just look to him. He's there. God, I want you. And immediately, guess what? He'll grab you and pick you up. God, save me. And boom, he'll do it. Peter walking on the water and the storm raging around him, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. You know what he did not do? He didn't turn around and start swimming back to the ship. 
He understood where safety lied. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately picked him up. And then Jesus took him back to the ship, letting him understand, listen, safety isn't in that man-made object. Safety's in me. Listen, he's everywhere. Don't you believe for one second what Satan tries to tell you that because of your life, because of your sin, because of the things that you have done that God doesn't want anything to do with you? That's a lie from the pit of hell. God loves you and he wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to spend time with you. If you read those verses that we have for our theme this year, Jeremiah 9, 24, it says, but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me. If you continue on, he said, for I am the Lord thy God. I exercise judgment, righteousness, long-suffering, in the earth and these things I delight saith the Lord guess what his loving kindness is towards you and I his judgments are towards you and I all the things that he has his righteousness is towards you and I what he's saying is in all the things that I could glory in brother Eddie he says I glory in you he's he's unmeasurable there's nobody like him he's omnipotent he's all-powerful he's omniscient he's all-knowing he's omnipresent he's present everywhere all the time look at Revelation chapter 1 You say, well, I don't believe that he's everywhere all the time. Guess what? He's been there not just now is he everywhere all the time. He's been there since the beginning of time. Past, present, and future. He's always been. Revelation 1 and verse 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. You know what? He's everywhere. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. He's everywhere. Why? Because he's all-powerful. He's everywhere all at the same time. He's he's all-knowing. He's all-present. Everywhere that you and I could ever be, God is there. Don't think you're hiding from him. We think sometimes we can go into our little closets or into our little sanctuary place and do what we want, live as we please, do as we want to do, and God's okay with it because he didn't see it anyway. No, he saw it. Why? Because he's there. He's there. He knows it. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. Look at Revelation chapter number 4. And verse number 8. And the four beasts which had of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Listen, you and I ought to just cry out this morning, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Why? Because there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. What manner of man is this? He's the incomparable one. He's the infinite one. He's the indispensable one. You can't throw him away. He's absolutely necessary for everything that you and I have. Look at Psalm 24 in your Bible quickly. I'm going to hasten and try to get through this as quickly as possible. I appreciate your patience this morning. But Psalm 24. Psalm chapter number 24.
Starting in verse number 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and lift up your, uh, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. You say, why do they repeat that? Why does that statement in those three verses just repeat itself, repeat itself? Because he wants you to understand that he is absolutely necessary in everything. He, he's the king of glory. He's the Lord of hosts. He's everything to you and I in everything that we ought to do. We ought to focus on God. He's everything. He's absolutely necessary. You can't throw him away. Guess what? In the music that we have at this church, we can't throw God out. Why? He has to be there. When we open up this book, you can't try to throw God out. You know, that's what they've tried to do. You know why our country's in such a bad spot? They've taken God out of it. God out of our schools. Trying to remove the Ten Commandments, prayer, all those things. The things that are absolutely necessary, absolutely vital for our strength in our nation. The things that we were founded on. All of those things have been taken away. And it seems like our world is just spinning out of control. Why is it? And these storms are going on. I'll tell you why. Because they forgot about who they're with. The King of glory. We as children of God. Listen, the world's going to be wicked. And it's going to wax more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. But what can we do? We can say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. When the storms around us rage and the battle gets hard and we can't keep going forward, we can say, Lord, help us. And he can say, peace be still, and it be done. Why? Because he's just that kind of God. He's incomparable. He's infinite. He's indispensable. He's the immutable one. He never changes. He's always the same. He's, he was, he is, and is to come. I want you to look at Malachi chapter number 3. Malachi chapter number 3. Don't cringe, those of you that know your Bible. You turn to Malachi chapter 3, everybody starts grabbing their wallets. Preacher's going to start preaching on tithing. Malachi chapter 3, you know, it says, will a man rob God? Everybody starts grabbing for their wallets or their billfold. Please, please don't preach on that, preacher. Malachi 3 has so much to do, so much more to do with giving of yourself. If God has you, he'll have everything about you. Your money won't mean anything when God's got hold of you. Why? Because it's all his anyway. Malachi chapter number 3, look at verse number 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. You know what? I'm glad that we have a God that's still the same as he's always been. He never changes. I'm glad the way of salvation is still the same as it's always been. Why? Because it's through Jesus and he never changes. Why does his word still have power today? The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Why? Because he is the word. And it's going to stand forever because he stands forever. He never changes. He's always the same. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1. I'm talking about God this morning. What manner of man is he? Listen, do you know him? Do you know him? I didn't ask if you were saved in this room this morning yet. I said, do you know him? Because you can be saved and not know him. You can be part of his family and not know him. 
Do you know him this morning? He never changes. Look at James chapter 1 and verse number 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, who is no variable, neither shadow of turning. Guess what? He's saying there's no changing in him. He doesn't go up one day, down the next. He's the same all the time. Why is he telling us in James chapter 1 about this temptation and all the temptation that comes? And do not err, my beloved brethren. He said, but every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Listen, he's the same all the time. Why, why should we love him? Why should we serve him? I'll tell you, because he's incomparable. There's none like him. He's given him a name above every name. He's the infinite one. Uh, he, he has all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's always present all the time. Why should you love him? Because he's infinite. He's indispensable. He's absolutely necessary. You can't throw him away. He's an immutable one. He never changes. His love's the same today as it always has been. No matter uh, how much you think what the devil says is true, his love goes beyond anything you can ever imagine. It's deeper than any ocean. It's wider than anything you could ever... I, I love the song that talks about the love of God. How rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It talks about if every man was a scribe by trade and uh, every stalk was a quill and the ocean was ink and the sky was the parchment paper, it said to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, those stretched from sky to sky. Why, that's quite a love that he has for us and it's always been that way since the beginning of time and it always will be. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But lastly, this morning, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? He's that incomparable one, that infinite one, that indispensable one, that immutable one, but he's also the imminently returning one. He's coming back one day. It could be today. I'm excited for it. I can't wait. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter number 22. On verse number 20, look what he says. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. If you read Acts chapter 1, he's telling the, the disciples that were standing there. He said, listen, I'm about to ascend in the clouds. I'm about to pour out my spirit upon you. And he tells them this. He said, as he ascends, the angels stand there and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, whom you see, it was coming back in like manner as you've seen him leave. You know why? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Why should we love him? Because guess what? He's preparing a mansion for us. If we've been saved by the blood of Christ, he's not going there just to uh, make a little room for you and I. He said he's got a mansion waiting for you and I. And it doesn't matter what the world has to offer us. It's beyond anything you and I could ever imagine. It's the treasures that can be laid up in heaven. And he's doing that for us, and he's coming back one day to take his bride to be with him forever. 
You know what ought to motivate you to serve him? As he could come at any moment. I don't know about you, but I want to go out with a bang. You say, what do you mean? I want to go out serving him. If that trumpet were to sound, guess what? You're not going to have time to get things right when that trumpet sounds. It said he's going to come in the twinkling of an eye. You say, what's a twinkle of an eye? Scientists have said the twinkle of an eye is the, the speed at which light hits that, the water of your eye and reflects off of it. It's one thirtieth of a second. That's how they've calculated time. Just if, if they're correct, that means he can come back 30 times in one second. That's quickly. You're not going to have time to get your life right. You're not going to have time to do all those things. And you're going to have to stand before God with a heavy heart if you're saved. And guess what? I don't want to have to stand before him and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have been doing that. You know what? I want to stand and say, man, I'm glad I served him. Man, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I was doing what's right. Why? Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. But not for me only, but to all them that are doing it. Listen, we have a God that blesses us beyond measure, that loves us more than we could ever imagine. And his love ought to motivate you to serve him. His love ought to motivate you to get rid of some of this wickedness in your life and just say, you know what, I'm tired of living on both sides of the fence. Because he said it makes him sick. And because I love him, because he first loved me, I'm going to get rid of all that stuff today. And I'm just going to sell out to him. Why? Because what manner of man is this? There's nobody like him. And if I'll just submit to him today, what he'll do for me is a blessing. Listen, all the sins that doom and destine us for hell have been paid for by the blood of Christ. And all you have to do in order to go to heaven is by faith receive the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. If you're in this room and you're not saved, let me encourage you to trust Jesus today. I don't care what anybody else says. The Word of God says there's only one way to heaven. And that's through Jesus. But friend, if you are saved in this room today, whose side are you on? You say, well, I love God. I'm going to serve God, really. Who do you worship? You say, well, I worship God. Really? How much time do you spend with Him? How much time do you do what He says to do? You say, how, how does He know that you love Him? Well, He knows my heart. He knows if I really do. You know what? He knew the disciples' heart too, but you know what He told them? If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, prove it. Let your walk tell me how much you love me. You know what? He desires for us to live holy, righteously, and godly in this present world. And he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. It's our reasonable service to serve him. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Listen, there's nobody like him. And you ought to know him personally. Through salvation first, because you can't get to know him unless he's inside of you. But once you get saved, you ought to get in this book, begin to pray, talk with him, and begin to know who God is. Because he wants you to know him. With heads bowed and eyes closed.